Well, here it is. It's all about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness and going inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalero, and with me is my co-host, my compadre, my friend, the Minnie Mouse to my Mickey Mouse, Kelly Grayson, KG. What's going on? I wish you didn't make me goofy to your to your Mickey Mouse. Well, I mean, I, pa- I paused. I, I froze. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm here at the uh, New Jersey State uh, First Aid Conference in Hasbro Heights, New Jersey, and uh, about to about to go on stage here in a little little bit. What are you teaching? A little bit of everything. Uh, CPAP, airway uh, airway management. Uh, talking about my PE and uh, anaphylaxis, asthma, a little bit of everything. Yeah. So how were how are you doing on the weight loss physical fitness journey? You look like you're trimming down every week, man. It's a new Kelly Grayson. Lost twenty five pounds in the last six weeks, and about 45, 46 pounds overall. Very good. Uh, actually, no, almost fifty pounds. I weighed uh, three hundred and sixty point eight when I stepped on the scale yesterday morning, which is four point two pounds less than I weighed five days before. So, a lot of weight to be carrying there. Dropping it. Well, I'm I'm not carrying it. I'm working real hard on not carrying it anymore. My knees are thanking me. Well, cheers to you for doing that. And we know that it's hard. I mean, for everybody out there, I mean, we know that losing weight is hard. And but you got to pick your hard. It's hard to be overweight, right? You know, having trouble in the shower, having trouble putting your socks on, having trouble. So you just got to pick your hard. Is it hard that you're getting up every day? that you're eating right, that you're doing the things you need to do to get in shape, or is the hard that you're just going to, uh, you know, wear bigger clothes and uh, find ways to get around the weight, right? So, you know, you just got to pick your hard. It's, um, it's, it's a good one though. It's, uh, the workouts are good. They don't pound my knees. I just get in the pool and I run as fast as I can for an hour straight with no pants and, uh, check my fitness meter and it said I burned a couple thousand calories. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're putting that thing on the tire of your car when you drive. No, no, I'm not. It's it's about equivalent to a, a vigorous pool swim for an hour. I just, um, I don't use my knees enough to make it a, a a really good workout when I swim. I use my arms a lot, not, you know, my scissor kick and that sort of thing, but it's not the, not the workout that my knees need. So, I just jog in the pool. All right, cool, man. Well, we're gonna we're gonna watch your progress over a week, week after week. We're gonna be your yep, yep. be your accountability partner. So, Kelly, I had an, a disagreement with someone uh, this week, and uh, talking about patient assessment. And one of the things that was the discussion was the importance of patient assessment. And I started off by saying it's the most important skill that a paramedic and EMT has. Uh, It's not your innovation skill and not your IV skills. It's not your, it's your ability to assess. It's your ability to determine. It's your ability to understand for differential diagnosis. And we were talking about, we were talking about patient assessment and the person was saying to me that they do not do a focused physical exam where I was talking about that, you know, a good head to toe survey really will help you with your differential diagnosis 
because we need to be able to know that abdominal pain isn't cardiac or cardiac pain isn't abdominal is acid reflux or and we need to be able to assess the body from head to toe every time that we need to do an assessment for that patient you know and then after the disagreement um i i went back to my neutral corner and was thinking about that I don't know in my earlier days that I did a full head to toe survey um, and that served me just fine. So am I now being hypocritical as I'm watching newer paramedics say it's not necessary or am I just being um, polished with experience to say I should have been doing this all along? So I really wanted to kind of give you that scenario that we can kind of debate quasi discuss uh, or quasi-debate, discuss which side is supposed to be right. And yeah. I don't know that we could flip a coin to say we're going to do a focused head-to-toe on this patient, and then we're not going to do it on this patient. But your initial thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I differentiate. I, th I call a focused physical exam as, as you focus on their chief complaint and the body system and any ancillary systems that are involved, uh, and you focus on that. You know, if a patient tells you his ankle's hurting, there's really no need to palpate his scalp and head and check his pupils and and uh, his cranial do a cranial nerve exam. Um, so, but that's more of a, a prioritizing thing. If if you have a, a a patient who is a reliable patient and can tell you what's wrong and and, and participate in the exam, I don't think there's anything wrong with focusing. Uh, on the system involved and on the chief complaint with the caveat that that's what gets you to the truck. Once you're in the ambulance and you have the time to do a head-to-toe exam, yeah, by all means, do one. Uh, but but there on the scene, when you're, when you're ready to, to get off the scene and start transporting, um, chief complaint, the ABCs, the focus physical exam, and whatever stabilizing treatment you need to get you to the truck are just fine. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about as, as part of the argument was that as an EMS chief, and there are two types of people that will call you to complain, okay? The first type of patient will call you within the next day, which is really a customer service issue, right? This person, uh, they treated me with disrespect. They didn't run to the house. They did. So it really is about the care that they received. The next call usually happens when they get the bill, which is a value thing to say, hey, I just got a $1,500 bill in the mail. You didn't do $1,500 worth of work on me. So when I defend the fact of saying we need to be able to give the patients we see a value for what they're going to get, isn't that the time? I mean, some of these people may not have seen a doctor in years. Isn't that a time really to say, Let's go ahead and give you an assessment. Let's put you on a cardiac monitor. Let's go ahead and check your blood glucose. Or are we saying that because we have a short transport time, you're SOL? No, I don't. I don't think so. I and and I think it's it's more about um, what's necessary for the situation. And I, I I genuinely don't believe that everyone needs needs now get. That's a different thing, but needs has to have a full head-to-toe assessment, uh, no. Um, I think it's perfectly fine uh, to, to 
just assess the system involved and, and any other ancillary systems that might be involved. You know, if the patient's complaining of chest pain, I'm going to do a pulmonary assessment as well and vice versa and that sort of thing. If I'm if patient's having difficulty breathing, I'm going to check them out for cardiac as well. If a patient says I'm, I'm weak and I'm hungry, uh, I don't assume that they're that they're just malnourished. Uh, I, I you know, check their blood sugar and so on and so forth. But, you know, as far as the value thing, I'm reminded of the story about the, the uh, customer that called a, a service tech to come out and work on their equipment. And the equipment, look, the service tech looks for, uh, for 30 seconds and says, oh, here we go. It turns, takes a screwdriver out, tightens the screw, and the machine runs fine. That'll be $5,000. And he said, $5,000? You just turned a screw. And he said, well, here, I'll, I'll itemize the bill for you. Uh, uh, <clears throat> tightening the screw, $5. $4,995, knowing what screw to turn. And that's, uh, I think that's a, a good analogy for what we do, what's necessary, what's not necessary. Um, but like I said, there, there's nothing wrong with, with thoroughness and, and doing a detailed physical exam. How many times have we found something that was uh, not necessarily benign, but wasn't the patient's chief complaint? How many times have you had your spider sense tingle and you check the blood sugar on someone or someone mentioned what otherwise would be an innocuous set of uh, uh, general complaint or, or symptom, but in the context of what you're assessing, uh, raises some alarm flags, and you, you start checking that, and you find out, hey, you know, um, Nancy uh, gets on me all the time because she thinks that every single patient should get a blood sugar check, every single patient that we encounter. And I, I push back against that, but, but I have to admit that she's, she's kind of right. First of all, it's a cheap, easy assessment, and there are tons of undiagnosed diabetics out there. Uh, but I push back against that, or my reflexive uh, objection to that, is I see so many kids that do the shotgun assessment on everybody because they don't know how to prioritize, and their, their, their word is vomit, you know, vitals O2 monitor. IV transport, uh, and, and everybody gets a 12 lead, everybody gets a 12 lead, everybody gets a blood sugar, because they don't know when it's appropriate. And uh, I, I think that's just a sign of poor training. You think that's but, more You think that's more shotgun paramedicine I, than it is just being focused in your assessment as we're being taught in school to do a full head-to-toe survey every time we need to? Yeah, well, and, and what, we, what we are taught in an assessment is, is not uh, uh, a full assessment anyway, even when we do a head-to-toe. EMS is called a, a topographical head-to-toe assessment, and, and you look at body regions, whereas what's what's harder to learn, uh, but much, much more thorough, is a systems assessment that a physician would do. And he checks you out by body system, neuro, uh, integumentary, cardiac, pulmonary, musculoskeletal, so on and so forth, uh, urinary, uh, genitourinary, and uh, GI and all that. And he checks you out and asks history questions uh, by body system. Uh, that takes longer to do. It's much more nuanced and, and hard to learn, uh, but it's also much more thorough. Uh, you know, and the other the other thing that I, I don't really like uh, about the way we learn assessment is the notion that there's a trauma assessment, medical assessment. That's just bullshit. There, there's just assessment. 
uh, your assessment may change and adapt if you have a reliable patient uh, versus an unreliable patient. But if you have a, uh, you know, you, you may be doing what's quote unquote a, a medical assessment on the trauma patient or a trauma assessment on the medical patient, depending on how uh, much that patient can participate or not in the exam, you know? You know, so maybe we switch gears a little bit. So I think we laid a little bit of the foundation of what we need, what we don't need. I think, you know, from my argument standpoint, you know, maybe I'm a little bit old fashioned, maybe I'm a little over. So maybe I need to change the way that I was thinking in this. And that's why I wanted to talk about it, really to kind of bounce it off uh, and kind of talk about it out loud. But maybe we switch gears now a little bit, Kelly, because you've said a couple of things where uh, detailed assessment versus, uh, versus focused assessment. And maybe we talk about some uh, patient assessment best practices. So, yeah. you know, one of the things that I always moved on was giving people the feeling that um, I was compassionate. Uh, I, I, I'm working for them right now because people will always say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry I had to call you. And, you know, this was, you know, I would say the same thing. This is your EMS system. We're working for you right now. This is your EMS system at work kind of thing. But now when we start to think about patient assessment best practices, let's shift into that discussion and, you know, kind of maybe share some of that expertise that we have there. But, you know, so first maybe differentiate when you talk about which I think is always a challenge is when we think about respiratory, we're going to do a cardiac workout, we're going to do an abdominal assessment, um, or we have a cardiac, we're going to do abdominal assessment, we're going to do respiratory. And even when you go to the doctor, I went into the doctor the other day, because I was having, um, uh, I had an abscess in my tooth, I had a root canal. And he listened to my heart and lungs. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck are you doing? Why are you listening to my heart and lungs? But you know, you know, but yeah, when you think about it, it, it could very well be so, but go, go ahead and spit off. Let's go ahead and start that discussion. Yeah. Um, alluding to your earlier statement, maybe you need to change the way you do things. I don't think so. You know, I don't necessarily agree with your, with your take that everyone gets a detailed physical exam, but I mean, what is the absolute worst that happens if you do it your way? The patient gets a full exam. You know, you're not hurting the patient anyway. In fact, you're being more thorough. A mild equivalent is, is it always necessary? No, but I mean, if you gild the lily a little bit and uh, um, you've done some, at the very least, you've done some good customer service and, and that patient perceives some value. But, um, you know, best practices. I think that every, first of all, uh, um, and a good history and don't just put WNL, you know, you chart a system that says WNL, what does that mean? Within normal limits. <laughs> we never looked. <laughs> and and EK, NKDA means not known, didn't ask. Uh, I, can't, uh, I can't fathom the number of, uh, of PCRs that I've done where I pull up the patient in our system. They're, they're valued repeat customers. They've taken care of a million times. And the only medicine they take is uh, is UTO, which is our our uh, our abbreviation for unable to obtain. You know, what's their medication list? UTO. Uh, meanwhile, I've got a Walmart sack full of pill bottles and and three pill minders and a and a list of chief complaints a mile long, and you know it's just sloppy. Uh, so don't. 
pencil whip it. Everyone's respirations are 16 unless they're having some problems and then you fudge that and, and uh, every blood pressure begins with the or ends with the zero. It's 120 over 80 or 110 over 70, 150 over 90. And you just, you get the feeling that those numbers will pull directly out of someone's record. Sure. And we talked and, about that on last week's show, that this documentation could be a court record that you're going to have to oh, go yeah. back to. Yeah. And You know, Agbot is is the first cog in the in the best practices, um, and and documenting what you saw well, and that's that's another thing. Is is a great many assessments are are done fairly well, but if you weren't in the ambulance watching it, you wouldn't know that from reading the report. And and there are different schools of thought on that. You know, if you read nurses' notes these days and, and ER intake forms, uh, they they mainly do negative charting. Uh, they they don't chart anything unless there is a finding, uh, and it's supposedly assumed that every other finding is normal. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, I think if you're going to take a history and assess, you 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 document your pertinent positives and your pertinent negatives, uh, and and put that story in context to that drop down list or that check box that you you checked off. That's your chance. To tell the story and, and very few EMS personnel do a good job of it. What are you what are your some of your best practices you think should, we should be doing? Well one of the things that I've always I think you know uh, back in the old days I had the opportunity to sit on the AMLS committee and teach the AMLS course and I believe First time I'm yeah, in the AMLS I remember in Vegas yeah yeah and, one of the things that I believe in is the differential diagnosis um, cascade that they talk about in AMLS. And if you've not taken an AMLS course, I mean, it, it really is worth the money because it really does kind of open your eyes to the opportunities of what else. And so my best practice has always been to talk myself into the diagnosis rather than say that this is what the diagnosis is. So I would really kind of start off with saying, what else could this be besides abdominal pain and I had to talk myself into um, whatever the abdominal pain was going to be gastric reflux gallstone whatever it was and um, you know from there um, it would give me the opportunity to say well this could be cardiac in nature let me check the cardiovascular system this could be pulmonary in nature let me nope everything's fine there everything's fine there okay let's go back to the abdomen so for me it was always to talk myself or prove the diagnosis that I was thinking more than this accepted diagnosis. I got bit in the butt one time really bad. Uh, and I was probably a paramedic at the time, maybe 10 or 15 years where I went into a rehab hospital and the lady was in there for knee surgery and um, the doctor was there and she was having a stroke and yeah. he had, um, she had weakness. She was drooling. Um, she had an IV in place and I was going three miles to the, take her to the hospital. So I went ahead and uh, did a quick assessment. I went to the, took her to the hospital and then long story short, I went back in a couple hours later, her blood sugar was 27. They gave her insulin that was met the insulin that was meant for a patient, the patient who was next to her. And they gave her the insulin, which bottomed out her blood sugar. So, mm -hmm. but knowing better, 
without the diagnosis of the doctor telling me that she's having a stroke, I would have checked her blood sugar. I would have done all those things. So my failure was relying on somebody else's medicine and not using my own medicine to find out where we were. So this really kind of gave me the lesson, the embarrassing lesson as a cocky paramedic to say, you know, and I might not be as smart as I think I am. And I need to now talk myself into what I think it is rather than just assume that this is what it is. So, but, you know, Kelly, I think we've come up with a lot of great tips. You know, we've kind of talked about the importance. We've kind of give some best practices, but give your final thought and let's go ahead and go for the week. Yeah. And and my final thought is, is how difficult it is to improve the art of assessment and your skills if you don't get feedback. And that's a major problem in our profession. We so, you know, you had a doctor tell you that that patient was hypoglycemic, but how often have we brought a patient in? We don't hear anything else about them. Uh, We get no feedback whatsoever on how to polish. uh, And we, you know, thus don't, don't have the opportunity to polish our skills, polish our assessment and increase our knowledge base. But, hey, that's what I think. We've heard what Chris thinks. We'd like to hear what you think. What do you think your best practices are for patient assessment and documentation? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Uh, follow our YouTube channel. And for myself and co-host Chris Valero, whose beard is starting to look a little scruffy, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.